When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Still having a look at slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Oh! Welcome back to the Hamden Roar podcast with myself, Andy Barge, and Tartan Scarf blogger Gordon Sheach. It's been a while, Gordon, since we had a Scotland squad to mull over, but here we are again. It's nice, isn't it? Oh, it's good to be back. Honestly, you're right. We've, we've been in deep freeze for so long. There's only so many old games you can watch on YouTube, but oh, it's so exciting to be back. Do you know that this is the longest time frame between Scotland games? In 95 years. The last time there was a gap this long was between 1924 and 25. 308 days between a 1-0 defeat to England and a 3-1 win over Wales at Tynecastle. So <laughs> it's a long, long time since we've had to wait this long for a Scotland game. People, people will have got their partners pregnant or become pregnant themselves, found out they're pregnant, had the baby... <laughs> <laughs> and now they're caring for the baby since the last time Scotland yeah. played a game. It's absolutely crazy how, how much time has gone past. People people who really enjoyed our 3-1 win against Kazakhstan. <laughs> John McGinn's got a new wee brother sight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the time that we take to the field against Israel on the 4th of September, it will be 290 days since we last played wow. a game. It, it's quite quite incredible, really. Yeah. Um, the squad has got a few changes to it. Some people have been brought in. Lyndon Dykes is the main one. He's grabbing all the headlines, really. Young Robbie McCrory, goalkeeper Liam Cooper back, Kieran Tierney back. There are positives. And then some players um, have just kind of dropped out without without too much notice. Mikey Devlin, Graham Shinney, Eamon Brophy, Ryan Porteous, players of that ilk. Um, so let's start with your thoughts, Gordon, on... The, the main story or stories I would say are Tierney's return mm-hmm. your a phenomenal stat you told me a minute ago about Tierney's uh, last involvement and Lyndon Dykes um, being included um, choosing us over Australia yeah you're right I think I think those are certainly the two big headlines in the boldest font um, looking at the squad um, Kieran Tierney coming back um, I said to Andy before we started recording this show it's actually October 2018 
when we lost 2-1 in Israel in the Nations League last campaign. Um, Kieran Tierney actually scored an own goal that day. That was the last time Kieran Tierney pulled on a Scotland shirt, which is just unbelievable. But it's also incredible to think just how much time has passed, but how much has happened since then for Kieran Tierney. You know, he's he's gone to Arsenal, he's had so many injuries, he had a really difficult first half of the season um, with injuries. But then since lockdown, he came back, he was fit, he was strong, he was mentally sharp. And for me, he's been absolutely fantastic for Arsenal since he came back. So I am so, so, so excited to see him back in a Scotland squad. Let's start with the defence then. The games that are coming up, Israel at home, Czech Republic away at the start of the the Nations League, um, before the, the Nations League playoff for the Euros, which is in October and then potentially a final. We'll see. Um, so let's start in defence. Well, well, let's not skip the goalie situation at Marshall. McLaughlin and McCrory mm-hmm. are we in agree agreements that uh, agreement that Marshall is the number one there out of those three? Um, almost definitely yes, but I think I think there's really good competition now, which is great to see. Um, I mean, John McLaughlin moved from Sunderland up the Rangers in the summer. I mean, he started the season, he's played four games, <clears throat> four games in the Premiership, and he's kept four clean sheets. So he can't really have done much more <laughs> to start the season. Um, McCrory is probably there more as a uh, an eye on the future. He did really well last season on loan at Queen of the South, on loan at Livingston. He's back at Livingston this season, maintaining continuity there, which I think is good for him, getting first-team game time in the top flight. Um, But he'll really be looking ahead to maybe returning to Ibrox next summer and hopefully taking that number one spot at Ibrox, which I think would then probably naturally lead to him becoming Scotland number one. But it's great to see him in the squad, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, then, centre-backs. We'll start with Kieran Tierney. Am I right in including him in the centre-back bracket, Gordon? Well, you know, we were doing a little bit of almost Sherlock Holmes reading between the lines in the squad announcement um, before we started tonight. And if you look at the squad, there's Andy Robertson and Greg Taylor, two natural left-backs in the squad. There's Stephen O'Donnell and Liam Palmer, two natural right-backs in the squad. But there's only three natural centre-backs in the squad, Cooper, Gallagher and McKenna. Does that then tip a hat to the way that Steve Clark perhaps sees Kieran Tierney as a centre-back? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Tierney is a very versatile player, of course. Very, very versatile. Whether it is as a left centre-back of a three or further out in a left wing-back position in a 3-4-3 or even a 3-5-2 or just left-back of four at the back. He's comfortable and accomplished in all of them and even has played for Scotland as an out-and-out centre-back before. He actually captained us against Holland. He did. Oh, God, that must be nearly three years ago now, (laughs) goodness. Yeah, so Tierney... I think it is now at the stage where we we have to include Tierney. Strachan went through a phase of playing him at right back. Didn't think he was terrible, but I never got the impression that he felt fully comfortable on the right side. And I think that he might actually be happy playing set more centrally and allowing somebody like Palmer or O'Donnell, probably Palmer, to to take the right back spot. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. I think you look at the, the games at the end of last year, and it was Palmer that had the right back slot. I think he was he performed pretty well. He did well. I don't think he's done anything to lose that jersey. And um, I think if you watch if you watch Arsenal's games post restart, the thing that's impressed me so much about Kieran Tierney is that he's played in so many different positions, so many different systems. Sometimes changing system, changing position mid match. I mean, that seems to be something that Mikel Arteta is very very keen on. Something that he's he's brought from Pep Guardiola, learning under Pep Guardiola is that he wants his team to be incredibly tactically flexible and Kieran Tierney has very much excelled in the positions he's played in as you said either centre back in a three left back even sometimes left midfield in a 3-4-3 Tierney's done it all and he's done well 
Steve Clark was on Sports Sound earlier tonight and he actually did say to his Tom English and Kenny McIntyre that sometimes he recognises that we have to build the shape around the personnel that we've got. To me, that would suggest that Tierney's very much going to play. This, he's not He's not an understudy for Andy Robertson anymore. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, again, like I said, you watch, um, you watch Arsenal's <laughs> games post-restart and it's not just that he was playing well for the club. The club were flying. You know, they got all the way to the final of the FA Cup. They won the FA Cup. They knocked out Man City. They beat Chelsea in the final. I mean, they had a phenomenal time post-restart. And I think Kieran Tierney was a, bit, a big part of that. The way that he would link up with the, either Bukayo Saka ahead of him or Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I mean, he did absolutely incredibly well. That You do think that Kieran Tierney is very well probably one of the best Scottish footballers in the world right now. I would agree. We uh, we are now at the stage after bemoaning our defensive options for so long. If Tierney does play centrally and does well and stays there and becomes uh, one of our first picks in defence, we've suddenly got three of our back four playing regular English Premier League football, which is a, a big step up yeah. from from what we've had over the past eighteen years. Uh, eighteen years, well maybe yeah. <laughs> 18, 18 months to two years. And Palmer's not a bad option. At right back either, he's playing yeah. at a, a good level. So it's quite comforting um, knowing that we've got Cooper stepping up as the captain of Leeds State. Probably will probably will have a good season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tierney playing centrally, we'll see. And uh, and Robertson, of course, captain at left back. Are you more inclined to see us play as a four with Tierney, left centre back, rather than a three? Uh, do you know... Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm so on the fence. I can convince myself one way and then I can convince myself back the other way I think part of that argument will probably come into what we're going to go on to talk about when we move higher up the pitch because the varying systems you play can have a big impact on how the team shapes and how the team attacks going forward and I think when we talk about the personnel going forward that might play more into the system that we match it to for me Steve Clark also said just just tonight on the on the radio that he won't be using these two games against Israel and the Czech Republic to experiment ahead of the Nations League semi against against Israel mm-hmm. to me that suggests that Tierney will be playing centrally as a, as part of a four mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah so. we'll move on to to midfield then I think we've we've pretty much covered the defence there midfield is where it starts to become a, a bit of a jigsaw um, McTominay and McGinn are probably shoo-ins I would suggest that Callum McGregor will be as well but Fleck, Armstrong, Jack and Kenny McLean sneaking in as well are all comfortable deputies for any of them. No matter who starts, we're strong in central midfield. The classic phrase is, well, it's a good headache for for Steve Clark to have, but I think we're at the stage now, as we've seen with other nations, especially the home le- the, the home nations, that we need a, a consistent a consistent team and a consistent formula rather than just swapping players around Whenever, whenever we feel like it. So, do you think McTominay, McGinn, and McGregor are the the first choice three for Scotland? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think I think you're absolutely spot on that we do need to come to some sort of a a first choice eleven. Effectively, you know, I mean, you look at the the number of caps that some of these players have got, and mo- most of those midfielders have probably only got less than ten or just over ten caps each, which. Is, is, is disappointing when you consider how talented they are and how much better they would be if they were sitting at their age, the ages they are right now with 20, 30, 40 caps as 
other, as you said, other home nations. Northern Ireland is a good example of that, of successfully done. Um, it is a real headache looking at that midfield. I mean, I think something that really plays into our benefit is that had the playoff gone ahead in March as it was supposed to, John McGinn was injured and was only just coming back, probably wouldn't have been fit for it. Scott McTominay was injured at Christmas as well, probably wouldn't have been fit for it. So the fact we've got those two players back is hugely, hugely important for us. But again, like you said as well, there's incredible form throughout that team. I mean, John Fleck's an absolute integral part of that Sheffield United team that absolutely shocked the Premier League last season. Stuart Armstrong as well is another player that really benefited from lockdown. He came out of restart and was flying at Southampton as well. So, I mean, how do you leave any of them out is the question. It's, it's, it's so difficult. If you look at the, the last couple of games, albeit nearly a year ago now, it was Jack and McGregor that were preferred with mm-hmm. McGinn just in front. But before that, he seemed to be preferring McTominay and McGregor. They've played a few times together as well, including against Russia. Yep. Fleck got given a start against Russia away. So they are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. But I very much do feel that Steve Clark has a first-choice pairing in mind, and that is McTominay and McGregor. He, I know that I've heard from a few people that he adores McGregor, especially yep. in training. And I think that McGinn's recent form for Scotland makes him pretty much undroppable. Oh, 100%. But, well, what, what was it? Seven, seven goals in seven, six games? Seven goals last, last season. season for Scotland, yeah. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. For, mm-hmm. for any striker in international <laughs> football, for any team, for Spain, England, that would be an incredible <laughs> yeah. record. For a midfielder for Scotland, that's frightening. Armstrong is one that I really feel should be or could be banging on the door for a start. We, we've spoken on the podcast before that he has a different dynamism to his play and a drive in midfield that really can take Scotland forward. Um, but I think there's only room for him or McGinn rather than both, which, which makes it tough. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. What what we need in the midfield is, you know, players that sort of his ball progression is the way that the statos will, will describe it. And it's about players that, that can take the ball in and instantly look upfield and get us moving upfield. For me, I think um, I think Ryan Christie is very impressive in that as well. I think when Christie was coming off the bench for Scotland or starting games, whenever he would take the ball in, he would always be looking to turn upfield. Um, obviously, Christie often played out wide, which probably isn't his best position. But I think I think him cutting in from the right-hand side, it worked well for us. I mean, it was a good way to keep him in the squad with the other players we've already discussed. Obviously, that's where he got his goal, uh, incredible goal away against Cyprus. And again, bear in mind, that move was started by John McGinn taking a ball in just inside the opposition half and with one touch rolling a, a defender that was tight on him turning up field playing a quick pass to Christie who cuts inside and scores I think our lack of options out wide as we touched on with uh, with Ryan Fraser um, earlier tonight he's simply not an option at the moment Matt Phillips hasn't been called up Mate, I wonder if Mikey Johnson will, will work his way into the Scotland squad fairly soon I don't think he's fit at the moment I mm-hmm. could be right right or wrong in saying that I don't think Mikey Johnson's fit um, which to me suggests that it will be Forrest and Christie out wide mm-hmm. um, with Ollie Burke as a spare option yeah I would, I would I would probably agree with that but then you know we can always tap into you know Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold at Liverpool under Klopp have redefined what fullbacks are and how they play and the width and the attacking presence that they can provide so I mean tap into something like that you know if we play Andy Robertson that little bit higher, whipping in crosses from deep, does that negate the need for width as much coming from wingers traditionally? Maybe it does. What about up front then? 
McBurney, Dykes and Shankland and potentially Burke depending on how you how you look at him. Mm-hmm. I think McBurney has probably done enough uh, in his club uh, football this season to, to warrant a, a starting place. He's, it's not really worked out for him yet with us. He's come close on a few occasions. I remember Mr. Sitter against Costa Rica, he hit the post against Mexico. He needs a goal, Ollie McBurney, Gordon. Oh, 100% he does. He does. Um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating this afternoon. I watched the I watched Steve Clark's press conference when he announced the squad and almost unprompted, I don't even think there was a question from the media about him, but Steve Clark went out of his way to bring up Ollie McBurney and say just how impressed he'd been with him at Sheffield United, particularly post-restart. Some of the goals he scored, very impressive. Um, I think the big question with McBurney is how do we get the best out of him? You look at the way he plays at Sheffield United, he's often alongside a centre strike partner, be it Billy Sharp, Lise Mousset, one of the other strikers at Sheffield United, that he can sort of dovetail with and work off winning flick-ons and making runs off. I look at the Scotland squad right now and I feel like if you play Dykes and McBurney together, I think that actually could be a really potent strike partnership, especially when you then factor in the way that McGinn had been making those late runs into the box through last season when he plundered all those goals for Scotland. Mm. I think that could be a really devastating attack up there. Are they similar to, or too similar to play together, Dykes and McBurney? They're both quite tall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say Dykes is certainly more forceful and aggressive than, than McBurney. Yeah. So they're, they're not quite your classic little and large partnership. Would you still think that two six-foot-plus strikers could, could work together up top? Well, look, I, th- I, th- I think they'd be an absolute handful for whichever defence has to try and marshal them. And if that then means that that creates more space for a guy like John McGinn or Ryan Christie, then that it works great for us. You know, I mean, a, a striker shouldn't necessarily be judged just on the goals mm-hmm. they score. I mean, look back at the 2018 World Cup. Olivier Giroud did not score a goal for France. I don't think he even had many shots, but he was absolutely pivotal in being a fulcrum for those players to play around. And he made he created space for others, and that's how they won the World Cup. So, I, I that's how I would see McBurney and Dykes being being su- successful for us. McBurney has scored big goals for Sheffield United, only six of them last season. But he scored against Spurs, against Man United, against Leicester, against Chelsea. That th- those are teams that all finished above Sheffield United in the table, yeah. and I think does back up my point a minute ago that he just needs a goal for Scotland to kick on and build some confidence he is he is disliked I, I don't know any other way to describe it he's he's maligned he's criticised I, I wonder if McBurney I know that the clip went around where he was complaining to John Flecker about being called up allegedly yeah. and that, that maybe makes it easier for people to, to mm-hmm. criticise him but I think that he's still coming along to, to camps he, he doesn't really pull out of squads yeah. Um, he's since done interviews where he where he's reiterated his desire to to play for Scotland. Mm-hmm. I think that he's certainly he's got something there. It's maybe a case of for McBurney at the moment the face doesn't fit his socks don't fit the way <laughs> the way that he runs doesn't fit. It just it, everything seems to go against him. But I'm sure that if and when he does start scoring, yeah, that will all be forgotten. Yeah, oh, 100%. Look, I think. All it will take is one goal. That will make all the difference. He's, he's had about nine or ten caps so far. No goals. If he can get one, and you know what? Perhaps at home against Israel, with no fans, that might actually suit him even better. Because if, if he takes a poor touch in the first five minutes, there won't be 20, 30, 40,000 fans getting on his back instantly and pushing him back into his shell. So you never know. Maybe that will that'll help him. Um, 
in, in fairness, I mean, I thought that the recording, the, the so-called recording, when he said allegedly it was it was shit yeah. being called up for Scotland. I mean, the, I thought that was a storm in a teacup mm-hmm. completely. And in fairness, as I said earlier, we'll get the best out of Ollie McBurney when we play to his strengths, you know. And you've watched him play for Scotland, especially the the home game against Russia, where there's twenty thirty yards between him and his nearest teammate all the time. He's just getting shelled long balls up to him. He's got no opportunity to win a flick on because there's no one anywhere near him. Like, that would be mm-hmm. pretty an unpleasant experience, yeah. you know? I'm sure if you asked Kenny Miller in his heart of hearts, he'd say, he might not describe it in the same eloquent words, but he'd say that it was really, really hard playing a lone striker for Scotland. It's not a nice thing to do. So I don't disagree with him. <laughs> I can see where he was coming from. What about Shankland? He has, well, allegedly been injured for Dundee United recently. I wonder if he's being wrapped in, in bubble wrap in case a, a bid is made for him um, and Dundee United want the money. He's been included. Steve Clark certainly thinks he'll be available to play if necessary at the start of September. Do you see him having any part to play uh, throughout the autumn? I think certainly. Look, I mean, Scotland, you know, you look at the, we've, we've discussed in in this pod so far about how sort of almost blessed we are in in goal and in defence and midfield if there's one area we're slightly short in it is probably up front we can't exactly turn our nose up at strikers that score an awful lot of goals and Lauren Shanklin scored an awful lot of goals last season obviously the question mark remains that it was in the championship it wasn't in the top flight in Scotland he's now got a chance to go and do that in the top flight he's certainly got the ability he's got the natural finishing ability to score goals so if we're in a situation where we need a goal you want a guy that's scored 20 plus last season. You want you want him in the squad. How much emphasis or responsibility should we be placing on James Forrest in these upcoming games? If you look at the attacking players we have, Shankland, two caps, I think. Dykes, uncapped. McBurney, less than a dozen caps, no goals. Christie's not very experienced. Burke hasn't played very many games for us. James Forrest, caps-wise, is into the 30s, I would imagine now. Yep. Um, he is by far the most experienced attacking player he, he had those two great games against Albania and, and Israel a couple of years ago he he really needs to, to roll his sleeves up I think and start and start producing that on a more regular basis for us oh 100% yeah look I mean I'm, 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 I'm looking at the cap counts right now and he's got 34 caps for Scotland and only Andy Robertson can come close with 34 as well um, and then David Marshall's got 33 so I mean he is an established He's one of the older heads in the dressing room um, in experience in caps and in age. So, I mean, you're right. It's time for him to step up and be a leader in the squad, 100%. Even if he has played on the left side of uh, an attacking three, mm-hmm. allowing him to cut in, that's that's not really Forrest's game. He's, he's more somebody that wants to hit the byline and, and get shots away. But he's more than good enough and has shown for Celtic in the past that he can go over onto the left hand and influence a game. Mm-hmm. So I think that at, yeah. the, at, at this time... He is, if, if he plays to his his maximum potential, he should be a big player for us throughout the autumn. It's just, what James Forrest are we going to get? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But look, look. If, I appreciate that perhaps playing on the left isn't necessarily where he plays every game for Celtic. But if you can stri- stri- strike up a successful partnership with Liverpool's left back, one of the best fullbacks in the world, if you can't strike up a successful partnership there, then. What can we do? You know, <laughs> what would you see as a success from from these next two games? It almost actually feels like the Nations League certainly is an afterthought at the moment with the with the semi final from last year's Nations League coming up. 
is are results overly important at the moment or do you do you just want to feel encouraged going into the semi-final? So for me, it's a little bit from column A, it's a little bit from column B. I think a week on Friday, the fact that it's Israel, it's at Hamden, that's the exact same formulation as what the playoff semi-final will be. I think it's absolutely imperative that we win that game and mm-hmm. ideally win it comfortably. If we win that game 2-3-0, the momentum boost and just the sense of optimism will absolutely skyrocket for that semi-final. That we will know we can handle that. We can put some of the nerves to one side. In terms of the game away in the Czech Republic, I, I, I could take it or leave it, really. I wouldn't be surprised if we, if Clark plays a dress rehearsal squad against Israel and then maybe makes a couple of changes in the Czech Republic. Um, obviously, I'm keen that we retain our League B status, but, but realistically... If we beat Israel home and away and take something from one of our home games against Slovakia or Czech Republic, we'll do that no bother. So, how how do you feel about the absence of fans? Obviously, every fan wants to be there, and we can be a, a big benefit to the team, I'm sure, at times. But will will there be less pressure weighing on the the players' shoulders when they when they come out against Israel? Yeah, you know, I've, this is this is something that I've, I've I've toyed with in my mind for for the last few months during lockdown. Is that it is a fascinating thing to think about the fact that there's no fans because I feel like for some players who maybe rely on the the white hot atmosphere of a game when they cross the white lines of the pitch to to to, to get up for the game and you know if they make a tackle they know that everyone's going to cheer for them that adrenaline rush that's what they need to get to their peak level. But then on the flip side, there's some players, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps with McBurney that. If you've got 50,000 people calling you all the names under the sun, maybe that pushes you into your shell a little bit. And if there aren't fans, if you miscontrol something, maybe you can shrug that off easier and reach your peak level easier. So I, th- I think that, I think some players will benefit from it, some players won't. Obviously, it's, it's personally incredibly disappointing that fans won't be there. Obviously, we completely understand why they're not, and I think we're all completely on board with that. Um, I myself, I've not missed a competitive Scotland home game for 11 years, so... A little bit gutted on a personal side that I won't be at the game next Friday. And my cardboard cutout will be, so <laughs> I'm saying that I was there. And the cat. And my cat, yes. <laughs> I, I, got, I got a two for one. I've got, I've got a photo of me with the cat, so <laughs> we'll be there. The the trials that UEFA have planned are for the Super Cup. Am I right in saying that for allowing a 30% capacity to go and watch the, the Super Cup? Yeah. That is before our semi-final. Mm-hmm. You wonder if UEFA will then... See, well, if that goes okay, then we'll have 30% of, of Hamden, which is, gosh, around, if my maths is correct, 15%. 15,000? Yeah, sorry, 15,000, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's not that bad. It'll, it'll feel like any other friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, although, you know what, I mean, my reservation about that is that I feel like in this current status that we're in right now, where every game is behind closed doors, when no fans can get in, I think fans are a lot more accepting of there being no fans because we we understand why and we understand it's about COVID and the pandemic and about battling that and that, that's fair enough. I feel like things could get a little bit ugly when you start letting some fans in because all of a sudden it's that, well, why can he go and why can't I go? You know, and I think that... Would it be a points-based system? Well, there is, of course, the points system yeah. um, and obviously the Scotland Supporters Club reshaped that a couple of years ago so that it's not just about away games anymore. You get points for attending home games, you get points for renewing your membership, etc. So there is a system in place, I guess, in terms of a class system for mm-hmm. uh, splitting fans up. But I mean, if, if you're limited to 15,000, that means there's a lot of people that can't go. Yeah. And I feel like that's when things could get a little bit 
not nice. Yeah, you know. Fair. Steve Clark. Before we finish off, Steve, Steve Clark was asked on Sports Sound about a couple of players that haven't made it to the squad. To be honest, I've forgotten all about one of them. <laughs> Tom Kearney. Listen, good player, but if we're looking at our other centre mids, yep. Well, I, I wouldn't have him really in in the attacking mid position. We've got McGinn, we've got Fleck, we've got Armstrong, even McGregor pushing up if we need to. Christie, I'd all rather have them. Yeah, and and, and look, I think the the alternatives we've got are all probably probably playing at a higher level mm-hmm. than Tom Kearney. Obviously, Kearney will be back in the Premier League this season. He's he's a really interesting player for us. I mean, he's almost like a kind of he's Scotland's white whale because. <laughs> You listen to Fulham fans and they will rave about him. They'll say he's one of the best central, midfield, central midfielders in that English Championship, one of the most competitive leagues in the world. But then just for a combination of reasons, be it injury or maybe he got called up in the wrong games. I remember he, I'm sure he started a, he started a against friendly. Costa Rica. I'm sure he started a friendly against Canada at Easter Road. <laughs> one of the worst football games I've ever been to. And it, you know, it's not necessarily his fault, but the stars just haven't aligned for him, mm. unfortunately. Phil Bardsley was mentioned... Clark said on that one he simply has to look to the future which yeah makes sense no problem um, mm-hmm. Phil Bardsley playing at a good level Palmer's done fine for us O'Donnell is an understudy and I think that we may see Aaron Hickey in a few years playing playing right back for us depending on how his club career progresses so depending on which super super club he's playing for at the time <laughs> yeah well it seemed like Bayern Munich was was the, pl- was the place for him but now yeah. it seems that Celtic have, have nipped in and and started with some serious interest and uh, negotiations. So who knows what's going to happen to Hickey? Yeah, I still. I think. I, I think. I think. Just on on Hickey, I, th- I think what's what will probably be good for him right now is if he maybe almost takes a step back a little bit from first team football. Maybe just for a short while, you know. Maybe plays B team football, reserve team football. Because I mean, you you think about John Suter this week. I mean, suffering the recurrence of that Achilles injury. What an absolute tragedy that is for that young man. I mean, mm-hmm. he's. He's still only 23 years old. Feels like he's been around the game for a yeah. very, very long time. I mean, remember Craig Levine's comments about the treatment of John Suter at Dundee United. I mean, playing almost every single game from the age of 16 yeah. onwards. And I mean, I don't think that did him any favours at all. So you worry about Hickey that he could almost go down that same path, you know, being over-relied on at such a young yeah. age that... You hear Michael Owen putting point that point across as well from when yeah. he broke through at Liverpool at seventeen eighteen, and suddenly he was the man yeah. and everything was on his shoulders playing every game and in the end his leg muscles, his hamstrings I think and eventually his knees just couldn't take it. Well this is it because I mean you look at you look at footballers and sometimes you can you can look at them based on their age but it's actually better often to look at them on the miles on the clock and I mean Wayne Rooney was this, was the same as well. He came through as a teenager at Everton and basically played every game for club and country beyond that. And ten years later, his legs were more or less gone. He couldn't, he just didn't have that speed as much as he did. And Owen's a good example as well that the amount of miles on the clock. It didn't matter the fact he was maybe in his late twenties or early thirties, but the amount of yards he'd put in just battered him. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got to be careful with Hickey. Fletcher was was the other one. I think I actually mentioned him earlier that Clark had a conversation with him last year, and Fletcher simply said he'd rather concentrate on his club career at this stage. Mm-hmm. I think Fletcher's probably into the final two or three years of his career. Yeah. So you know what if he's if he's decided again that he's done with Scotland, then you know what, fine. I think it's okay to yeah. start looking at, well, at other options. It's fair enough, and I and I, I think I think having watched a bit of Lyndon, Lyndon Dykes, I mean Lyndon Dykes gives me almost Stephen Fletcher kind of vibes. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the Giroud style striker of 
winning flick-ons, dropping deep, allowing the attacking midfielders to work around him. That's what a huge part of what Stephen Fletcher brought, playing with his back to goal. I think that Dykes could do much the same job. Certainly, on a personal level, I'm not getting the butterflies about Lyndon Dykes <laughs> at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that he's picked Scotland, mm-hmm. but until he has uh, a good run down there, I will reserve judgment on if he's really ready for international yep. football. I think he's, he had a decent goal return for Livy last year, 12 and 33. Mm-hmm. I think a fair few of them were penalties, though, yeah. as well. But it's not just about the goals, as you say. He's very good at um, holding defenders off. If we can get anyone in our team that can replicate the sort of shit housery performance that Zuba put on us... That was that's, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Occupying a whole back four just at a, once. A, a, a one-man yeah. army <laughs> yeah. up front. It was... I, would love, I would love Dykes to progress into, <laughs> into something like that. Um, so, yeah, if, look, if Dykes starts this season well with QPR, mm-hmm. then... Oh, absolutely no qualms about having him yeah. in contention for a starting place alongside McBurney and well I'm not going to even bother saying Griffiths I think that mm-hmm. there's a long way back for, for him yeah yeah absolutely um, but look I, I think I, th- I completely agree with you on Dykes but I think I think he's made a very interesting move this summer I think QPR is a good club to be at obviously they're in the English Championship a phenomenal league the standard will be incredible he'll be tested like he's never been tested before but I think as well he's got a good coach I mean Mark Warburton's a good coach as well so I'm excited to see how he progresses Right well let's get back around the table then hopefully Ben will be back with us at that point Ben Ramage normally on the podcast not with us today has he's become an uncle this week yes. that's correct so congratulations to Ben so <laughs> after the, the double header we'll reconvene analyse and look forward to the Nations League semi fantastic cheers Sports Social Podcast Network